in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and, and you will be my witnesses. And for you to be my witnesses, you need to wait. Because it's not going to come from your own power. It's not going to come from your own ability. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they go and wait. And they're praying in this group of 120 or in this upper room. And then the Spirit comes in with great force. This violent wind blows through this upper room. Tongues of fire descend on each and every one of them. And they start speaking the native languages of the international crowd that has gathered in Jerusalem. This is quite a scene. And of course, it stirs up attention. It doesn't go unnoticed by the community around them. And they say, what does this mean? Please interpret this for us. We, we see that something strange is happening. Of course, some explain it away by saying that they've had too much to drink. And so Peter gets up with the apostles. And they say, no, it is not wine that has caused this. This is the power of God descending on us. He gets up and he reframes for the people what it is they're experiencing, what it is that they expected, and who Jesus actually is. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is the Messiah. So Peter speaks of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and everyone is amazed by this. They're amazed. And they're convicted. And they ask this question, what must we do? That this Jesus who he crucified is actually the Messiah. And so now they repent. Peter calls them to repent, to turn, to completely reorient to this new way, to the way. And in this reorientation, they repent and 3,000 people respond and are baptized on that day. And so that entire story is enough, right? That could be the high point of Acts, but the story doesn't stop there. We have this incredible day, this day of Pentecost. We see this narrative unfold, and we get today to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. The story flows, where we're headed now, flows out of these episodes where we've been the last few weeks. As we read, what follows is not just some sort of uh, utopia, some, some perfect description of what the church should be. It's not some sort of realistic expecta expectation, and it certainly is not an order of worship that we're supposed to copy. But what we do read here in these verses is an overflow of what has happened in these previous episodes. It's an overflow of this divine movement of the Spirit. This Spirit-empowered spirit community comes together, and this describes how they behave, how they act, and the impact that they have on their community around them. And so let's read, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so the story continues. This spirit-empowered community comes together, and, and we see this incredible picture of what this community of faith looks like. But let's start with the last verse. The Lord added daily. The Lord added daily. So the 3,000 people that to repent and confess in Jesus, those that were baptized, it did not stop there. That was just the beginning. But this community forms and they continue to meet and God continues to add to their number day by day. This initial response of 3,000 continues on. So last week we saw God using Peter's testimony. But now we see God using the church's testimony. As we talked about several weeks ago, testimony is not just what we say about what we have seen. Yes, that is part of it. But part of it is also being a witness. That we don't see any preaching, we don't see any evangelism, we don't see any door-knocking campaign in these verses, but yet God still added to their number daily because they were being the witnesses that God called them to be that they were representing this new life. They were representing this new way. And so if you'll notice in this passage, what's missing? There are no names mentioned. There is no individual name listed here. It's this collection of individuals that have come together in this unified way. There are, are no, no proper nouns here. It's not Peter standing up. It's not somebody taking up the lead. It's the church of individuals coming together to be one unified body, this new community, this new church. And their behaviors and their actions are, are all bearing witness to the power of God. This is the community of faith. This is the church that we're a part of. And so we see them embodying the gospel, becoming the gospel, living out the gospel in this newly formed community. We see them practicing it. It's a life that is fully dependent on God, a life that is totally surrendered to the Spirit working through them for the sake of others. And so their life as usual is interrupted. We see the Spirit coming in with the signs and wonders, interrupting and dis orienting them, and now they have a new orientation to life. Their behavior is pulled into a whole new direction, a whole new way of being, affecting how they relate to one another, how they relate to the world, how they prioritize their time, how they prioritize their talent and their treasure. And so what does this spirit-empowered community look like? We see this church being devoted to four things. Four things that we could devote ourselves to. The first thing is being devoted to learning. They are devoted to the apostles' teachings. 
Learning is an important thing. They had this incredible experience on the day of Pentecost, this experience where they, they could not forget that. But they don't go from experience to experience. They have to learn what this new orientation means. Their whole world has changed. Their repentance has, has caused them to take this dramatic turn into a different direction, into this new way of being. They have gone from crucifying Jesus to declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. And everything that they understood and everything that they believed about their faith, about their lives, is now being reframed in light of Jesus. The Jesus way is a different way. And so imagine the confusion, imagine the disorientation to take that dramatic of a change. That the day before, you had seen Jesus as a criminal to be executed. And now on this day, you see Jesus is the Messiah in the line of David that we have been waiting for. And so, so how disorienting is that? There are now of this new community. They're, they're bearing witness to who Jesus is. They're, they're representing Jesus to the world. And the world is watching and turning to Jesus, being added to the number every day. They're going to need a lot more understanding. They're going to need to understand how all of this reshapes and, and what it means to be a part of the way. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings to learn what it means as we read through Acts itself, Acts is written in, a, in an attempt to help orient the church to reflect on the implications and the applications of what the gospel means. That if we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, here's what it's going to mean for our lives. Here's how our lives are going to change and be different. And so how does the church continue to be faithful to its calling? We have to be devoted to learning. And so we need to be doing the same thing, asking, what are the implications? What are the applications of the gospel? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And so we turn to Scripture to find the answer. One of the things that this episode shows us is, is yes, we have these great experiences. The day of Pentecost was this miraculous moment. But too many of us are looking for the next moment, the next experience. And we go from momentary burst of revival to momentary burst of revival. We're looking for these experiences along the way. And yes, experiences are incredibly important for anchoring us. But I know as a teenager, I would go to these summer camps. I would go to these retreats. And we'd come back with this great spiritual high, this mountaintop experience and how short-lived was that? Because experiences will only sustain us for so long. And so learning becomes important. Turning to Scripture to say, feed me. Give me my daily diet of what I need. And so we need a, a daily feeding from the Word to get us from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. So many of us have had those, those great moments and then we just hold on to that great moment. And then it just dwindles away over time if we're not continuing to nourish the soul. And so we do not drift from moment to moment. We turn to the word. We turn to the task of learning, keeping our focus on what the church is and who we're called to be. 
And it's not just learning for learning's sake. It's not just taking class after class and learning trivia after trivia and, and being able to answer all those Bible Bowl questions. It goes beyond just the trivia of it, but actually learning, God, what are you saying to me? And then putting it into action and being obedient to say, what are you going to do about it? God, speak to me, but be obedient in that. We can take lesson after lesson and class after class about the love of God. But how has it changed our lives? How has it changed how we interact with the world around us? And so, yes, we're committed to learning, but not just for learning's sake. We're committed to learning to know what it means to live in this kingdom, to live the way of Jesus. The second thing is this devotion to fellowship. Now, I struggle with using the word fellowship because fellowship means all these different things. We have a fellowship room, right? And that fellowship room is where we have baby showers. And the fellowship room is where we have potlucks. And the fellowship room is where we have classes. And fellowship is so much more than that. Fellowship is not just a potluck. Fellowship is this deep connection with one another, this deep relationship with one another, this sharing of one another, sharing ourselves with each other. And out of the overflow of sharing ourselves with one another, we see the sharing of possessions. Because in this sharing, we see that they had some radical behaviors as it relates to wealth, as it relates to possessions. That in their sharing of themselves, they would sell their possessions and give to those who had need. And so the real miracle of Pentecost, as, as, as spectacular as the winds blowing and the, and the tongues of fire coming down, as spectacular as that is, the real miracle at Pentecost is a unified body of believers. And for those of you who have been in church longer than like a couple weeks, know what a miracle it is to have a fully unified body because we struggle with this we're individuals and we want our way and we have our way of doing things and so the real miracle of the way of jesus is that we can be a unified body it's a challenge and it's not something that comes from our own effort. Remember, these are things that are being poured out of the Spirit. And through the empowerment of the Spirit, these things can happen. And so because of this sharing that they have with one another, because of the connection that they have with one another, no one finds themselves in need. They find themselves taken care of. And they aren't just giving the leftovers. They aren't just giving the surplus. It's like, oh, well, I made a lot, so just this extra I'll give you. They're selling stuff and giving it away. There's this radical view of what it means to be a part of the family, what it means to be a part of the body. And so there's these, there are these common goods, and it gives a testimony to the community around them. It bears witness to who God is. That something substantial happened Something unsettling happened when these people encountered God. 
And so 3,000 people have had their lives turned upside down. Now imagine the implications for that because of the 3,000 people who have now confessed Jesus as Messiah, they have friends and family and co-workers who do not share in that confession. And so could families be split? Could people have lost their jobs? Could friends part ways because of the gospel? That as they confess, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, as they turn toward Jesus and turn toward the way, they're also turning their back on something. And so what is this community like as this new family forms around the cross and around Jesus? And what kind of material needs might they have found themselves in that dramatic moment? The Holy Spirit was was going to make sure that that there was no sense of those haves and have-nots, no sense of ethnic boundaries, no sense of, of race boundaries, no sense of socioeconomic boundaries. There is this great inclusion and this great equalizer of things. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus has this moment with Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus is called out for his cheating of people. And when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amounts. And so when when confronted with the gospel, Zacchaeus responds by parting with his material goods. That when he encounters Jesus, his view of his treasure is completely different. And now we see in Acts chapter 2 an entire community doing the same thing, that now their approach to material goods is completely changed. Their view of what is needed changes. Their view of the haves and the have-nots, and who's in and who's out And what is valuable and what is not valuable and what is powerful and what is not powerful, all of these perspectives now change because of Jesus. And like I said, more than just their their possessions, it is a giving of themselves to one another. That money stuff, that's just on the side. It's a full giving of themselves. And so when we give our lives to one another, then our possessions will follow. It doesn't happen the other way around. The third thing, they were devoted to meals. Notice this is separate from fellowship. They liked to eat together. Eating together was important but not because of the food, but because of being together and the kinds of conversations that happen when you're sharing a meal together and the relationships that are formed when you share a meal together. Now, Acts chapter 2 references it as breaking of bread, but it's having a meal together, sharing a meal, being around a table. Now, think about... Who eats where? What kind of restaurants do you go to? Have you ever gone to, to a nice restaurant and you feel like you just don't fit in? 
you didn't quite wear the right thing or you just, something is wrong where you just, you don't feel like you fit into the environment. You see, around the table is one of the most divisive places. Nothing defines social boundaries more rigidly than a meal. That who we share a table with says a lot about who we are. And so eating together regardless of differences, eating a meal together regardless of class, eating a meal together regardless of whatever typically divides us, that is the mark of unity. That's the mark of deep friendship. It's a visible sign that the social barriers that typically keep us apart have been broken down. The table becomes a holy place. And eating together becomes a sacred activity when we approach our meals the Jesus way. Because Jesus was all about sharing the table with those that nobody else would share the table with. And so for us to embrace that and live into that, to share meals with one another, that is the mark of this unifying love for others. Now some debate whether or not this breaking of bread is talking about just meals or if it's talking about the Lord's Supper. And likely it's actually talking about both. Because when they would have what we call communion together, it would be in the context of a meal. It would be in the context of, of sitting at a table with one another, where they could talk about their faith, where they could have conversations about what Jesus meant to them and, and what was changing in their lives because of the Spirit's work in their lives. They would gather around a table in a home, looking at each other in the eye, not at the back of heads and pews talking about what matters most, talking about life in Christ, life in the kingdom. And so it's important for us to be sharing meals together. We've done different spurts of this at different times where we've, we've done challenges of, of eating meals with one another. I want to encourage you and challenge you to, to think about who do you need a meal with? Who do you need to invite over to your home who do you need to have dinner with? Because the relationships that are formed around a table are so rich and so valuable. And so invite others into a meal. I want you to think about, who do you need to have a meal with? Who have you been saying, ah, I need to invite so-and-so? Invite them. Get it done. Do it. Let's share these meals with each other. Finally, they were devoted to prayers. And so the community that gathers, they don't neglect their traditions of, of meeting in the temple courts. They don't neglect the traditions of these hourly prayers that, that existed. They had a commitment to prayer. They had, had, and we see that even at the day of Pentecost where they're in the upper room praying with one another. That in their waiting, they are praying 
In the temple they are praying. In their homes they are praying. With one another they are praying. And so a community of faith that is spirit-filled is also prayer-filled. That as they wait, they are praying. And that's the first thing, not the last thing. That for this community to exist, they first had to wait and pray. And then it's through the overflow of the Spirit in their lives that they're able to become this sense of community. And so for the, the first step for us is not to go create a new order of worship, to not redesign how we do things, to not go feel guilty that we haven't had anybody over for lunch yet. The first thing is to pray. We pray for the Spirit to come. And through the overflow of the Spirit, the rest of these things are impossible. Are, are possible, not impossible. They're impossible without the Spirit. Because the idea of us being fully unified, having meals with anybody, that is not human at all. It's a spiritual thing for that to happen. So this does not present for us some order of worship. It does give us a picture of what this community looks like flowing out of the spirits. And so connecting some dots for you, as we talk about who we are as a church, we talk about gather, grow, and go. And these are very much rooted in this passage of who we are, that, that we gather together for worship. We gather together in this large group to share in communion, to, to share with one another, to encourage one another, to, to sing songs to one another. This is not an isolated individual moment. This is a one another moment. But we are also called to grow in, in a smaller group as well because we can only get to know each other so deeply in this large of a group. And so we have our life groups where we encourage everybody to, to be a part of that smaller, close-knit community so we can grow together in those environments. And then we go into the community, bearing witness to what it is that God is doing among us and in us and through us. And through the Spirit, the Lord will add to our number those that are being saved. As we look at these four things, there was a devotion to all of these. They were devoted to these things. And so what does it mean to be fully devoted? It means to be persistent. It means to have loyalty, to have enthusiasm towards something. And so can we look at our lives and say that we are enthusiastic, that we are persistently devoted to learning, to fellowship, to meals with one another, to prayer? Are we persistently pursuing those things? Are we devoted to those things? Or are there some of those that we're avoiding? Are there ones that we're resisting? And maybe another way to ask the question is, what is it that you are devoted to? What are you persistently pursuing? Is it another person? Is it a job? Is it financial security? Is it a craft? Is it a hobby? 
What is it that we persistently pursue? And how can we persistently pursue and devote ourselves to the ways of Jesus? So I want us to move into our time of communion because that's an important part of this. One of the things that I love about our, our kind of our annual rhythm is that the Sunday before Easter, we have our communion service where we set up tables in the gym and, and spend time in communion with one another at tables. And it's not something that we can create in this environment on a weekly basis. It's something that we can do every once in a while. But I want us to, to just look at our communion time a little bit differently this morning because we're a unified body. We're a family. We're not isolated individuals. And even if you're visiting with us today, you are a part of our family. You are a part of this body. And so I want to ask um, everybody to listen very carefully to these instructions because we will get confused if we don't. And I will probably get confused along the way, so I have to listen to myself very clearly now. So if you are one of the ones that's serving communion today, if you could go ahead and go back and get your trays um, get those ready for us. And then I need you specifically to listen very carefully because I'm going to completely throw you off to how we're going to spend our time together. And Joe's walking in saying, huh, what's going on? We don't have a big table that we can gather around and we can't have this, this moment where we're really able to converse about who Jesus is and what he's done to us in this environment. And it's really not even appropriate for this size. But I want to take one step closer to it just for this morning. This is not an every Sunday thing. This is just for today. So for those of you who really like the way we always do it, come back next Sunday. And we'll do it the way we always do it next Sunday. But this Sunday, we're just going to get a little uncomfortable. So for those of you that are serving communion, if I can get you to spread around the perimeter of the room, I need one of you right here, one of you right there, one in that corner, one in that aisle, one in that aisle, one in that aisle, one in that corner, and one in this corner. You see that pattern? I think that's eight things, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And there's eight of you, right? Are we on track so far? Okay. I need someone in this corner. Yes. No, just the bread right now is fine. I'm not going to make it too complicated. All right, everybody go ahead and be standing while they make their way. I need to make sure we have a server in this corner and that corner and that aisle and that aisle and that aisle and that aisle and this corner. I need somebody in this corner still. We're good there. Okay. All right. This is where we're going to get weird. Just now we're getting to weird, all right? We're going to try our best to form a circle in this room. Uh, ooh, yes, so we're going to try to get in a big circle, okay? So I would like for everybody to fill in between each of these servers, form a big circle around the perimeter of the room, okay? And you're going to have to squeeze in probably, and some of you need to assist one another in helping through this. And if you're visiting, once again, I'm sorry that we're weird. But no, I'm not. All right. So fill in the spaces between servers. So instead of looking at each other at the back of heads, we're going to look at faces as we share communion this morning. As one unified body. As one family. 
And so for our servers, um, for, for the trays, um, you're just going to pass both trays stacked over. And, and you're going to start by passing to the person on your left, okay? So that's just get oriented to where your left is. Not yet, not yet, not yet. I, I, we're just going to take it slow. You're going to start by going to the left. And Joe, if, if, Joe, can you go grab a couple chairs if there's some people that really, really need to sit? Joe, can, can you go grab a couple chairs for people who really need to sit? If you can get one for Gerald and a couple others that need a chair. Um, I want you to take this tray and you're going to turn to the person to your left and you're just going to keep both of those trays together, okay? We're not going to separate the trays. You're going to take that tray to the person on your left and you're going to say, this is the body of Christ which was given for you. This is the body of Christ given for you. And you're going to look at the person to your left, look them in the eyes, Say, this is the body of Christ given to you. And pass that tray to the next person and to the next person and to the next person. Okay? When that tray gets back to the next server, server, take that tray back to the table and go get the cups and come back to your spot and we'll get to the next one. Okay? All right. God, we pray for this time now as we look at who Jesus is and what the way of Jesus is all about. And God, we share in this moment now, this moment of communion, we thank you for the body of Jesus. We thank you for the gift that it is, this gift that's given to each and every one of us. We thank you for his sacrifice for him giving his life for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and pass those trays. This is the body of Christ, which was given for you. And so now we pass the cup, and in the passing of the cup, we are reminded that the blood brings forgiveness. We know that death is conquered because of the resurrection. And so as we drink this cup, we drink with hope. And so as we pass this tray to the person to our left, say, this is, the this is the blood of Christ which gives us hope. This is the blood of Christ which gives us hope. Pray for this cup. Pray that you bless it. And as we share this with one another, we pray that you will remind us of the hope that we have. This is the blood of Christ that gives us hope and pass the trays now.